Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Maybe you know him. I hope you know him from such excellent shows as United Shades of America. Host, writer, comedian, W. Kamau Bell. I bumped into him in the CNN steam room recently, fondling his Emmy. And I asked him, come out, if you could go anywhere on earth for like a mashup episode of my show and yours, where would that be? He said, Kenya. <laughs> so, here we are. United Shades Unknown, or Parts United. Scratch that, that, that doesn't sound good. America's Shadiest Parts. No, that doesn't work either. Unknown Shades I took a walk through this beautiful world Felt the cool rain on my shoulder Found something good in this beautiful world I felt the rain getting colder On this continent. Yes. I, I'm going to be teasing you relentlessly That's about fine. this, by I'll the go, way. Please, okay. please, please, yes. As an African American, there's a lot of talk about going back to this thing of the, the motherland. And uh, it's a seriously radicalizing experience for uh, African American comics who come here before. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, life changing, yeah. so we, yeah. we shall see. I mean, even walking through the streets, like, I had this feeling of, like, when I moved from Chicago to Oakland, you know, you hear about Oakland being this black city, uh -huh. and you get there, and it's like, I guess there's black people here, but it's not like, uh -huh. this is what I imagined Oakland was going to be like. <laughs> this is like, like, this feels like, this is black, you know? <laughs> Nairobi means cool water in Maasai. It's the capital of Kenya, with 6.5 million people living in the metro area. It grew up around a British railroad depot during the colonial era, halfway between other British interests in Uganda and the coastal port of Mombasa. I will admit to a weird, frankly unlovely sense of been here, done that. It's not a good look for me, I know, but there's a mischievous curiosity tucked away in some poisonous part of my brain that's dying to see how Kamal handles the heat, the spice, the crowds, the overwhelming rush of a whole new world. Because that's what it is, first time. This ain't Berkeley.
I'm already happy. Well, I'm pretty happy because I've seen this scene so many times <laughs> on your show. I finally get to be in this scene of this is going to be good. I mean, you have a Kenyan name. Yes. My parents met in uh, East Palo Alto, California. You know, this is like the late 60s, starting to be the early 70s, so post the civil rights movement, but that point where black people are starting to like, really like want a connection to the motherland. And in East Palo Alto, there was this push towards uh, naming it Nairobi, Nairobi, California. Back then, there's people who were like, you need to be associated with an example of African culture that is winning. And that, at that point, Kenya was looked at as being winning because they were just kicked out the Brits. And there's all this sort of like, you know, we need to start a whole new culture and a new government. They start like a community college that's in people's houses and in basements and in storefronts. And I was the first baby born to one of the heads of the council, apparently. And apparently there was like a whole ceremony lasted eight days and you know, uh, like, you know, I, I picture it like the Lion King. I don't know, there's no pictures. <laughs> Tilapia from Lake Naivasha, fried then cooked with tomato and spices, served upright on the bone with an ice-cold Tuscan. And yet, a proud Kenyan name, given your background, why so long? Why... <laughs> what, what took you so long, man? I was waiting for an invitation, the right invitation. No, I mean, what, what, was there any concern you would be disappointed? I think as a black American, I'm still wrestling with my African-American identity sometimes, and I'm still wondering, am I doing right by this culture, and does this culture think I'm doing right by them? That's why I don't want to walk around like, I'm home. <laughs> I also think that like a lot of times black people in America have really struggled with that, that as an identity, what does it mean to be black American? I'm like, I fought hard to claim this identity. It's exhausting, you know. Mm -hmm. Am I ready to start with a new one? I don't know yet. Well, we'll see you know, we'll see in a week when you head back. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Shit runs deep here, meaning best scientists can tell it all started for us in this neighborhood. Tribes of hunter-gatherers, the Bantu and Nilotic peoples, Arab and Persian traders, the Portuguese merchants, the Omani, all left their mark. But the British Empire's hold from 1895 to 1964 is perhaps most deeply felt. The British system of education, governance, justice, along with to a certain extent its values, were imposed on a native people and laid for better and worse much of the foundation for modern Kenya. It did abolish slavery, for instance. It did build a modern infrastructure. It was also completely and fundamentally exploitative, often violent, and, well, racist, favoring white settlers, landowners, and foreign entrepreneurs in every possible way. Kenya existed to make white people from far away rich. But in 1963, Kenya won its independence and elected its first president, Jomo Kenyatta. And since that time, has fought an uphill battle to shake the last vestiges of colonial rule while hanging on to what worked. Things are, by most accounts, going well. Today's Kenya is phenomenally beautiful. There is a growing middle class a highly rated educational system, and an enthusiastic and multilingual professional sector. Which is to say, 
This is decidedly not a shithole. There are poor people here just like there's poor people anywhere else. Kenya is as distinct and different from other nations in Africa as Texas is from Mars, with its own problems and its own kinds of awesomeness. It's dynamic, it's changing, and it's incredible. Kenya. By Kenyans, for Kenyans. But hurdles exist. Bizarre, almost surreal ones in this case. Matumba, for instance, also known as the clothing of dead white people. 70% of Africans are wearing second-hand clothes. If you can just make our own clothes and make them cheap enough and make the money and keep the money. There's also the issue of dignity. We have underwear coming in, we have, yeah. Most poor people, yeah. like, like living in Kibera and stuff, they yeah. wear second-hand underwear. It's not cool. Well, there's a big market for that in Japan. Oh, but like for other reasons. <laughs> and Jerry Gakira is the owner of Chili Mango, an all-Kenyan streetwear company. Melissa Umbungwa is a managing director at a creative consulting firm. As I understand it, there used to be 500,000 manufacturing jobs in Kenya, in textile manufacturing, and there's now 20,000. Before the 80s, we had a booming textile industry right. that could employ 500,000 people. But now in the 80s, when the World Bank introduced the free trade, yeah. we got all this, all the second-hand clothes coming into the country. Before that, they were actually for charity. They were meant for the poor yeah. people. Here's how it works. Your pants or your T-shirt get old or boring. So, being a good-hearted soul, rather than throw them out, you drop them in a charity box, assuming they'll go to someone who needs them. But no. In fact, that charity sells your pants and your t-shirt, along with a whole lot of other clothes, in bulk to a second-hand clothing exporter, a middleman, part of a billion-dollar industry. Exporters then sell your stuff by the container load to places like Kenya. Along the way, millions of dollars are creamed off in duties, 54 million bucks a year in the port of Mombasa alone. The old clothes are then unpacked, sorted, and sold in markets throughout the country. This low-cost clothing option has absolutely crushed the domestic textile market. Now, some countries in Africa have said, wait a minute, this is not good for our employment situation. Yeah. We're not going to let the stuff in anymore. What happened then? So the America came and they told us that they, they would have trade sanctions against us. If you didn't take all this yeah, used exactly, clothes. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Because of the free trade that they, yeah, exactly. It's That's extortion. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's bullying. It's neo colonialism. USA. Yeah. yeah. USA. But, but. Yeah. <laughs> so you design and manufacture? Mm. It's a Kenyan streetwear brand, brand mm -hmm. basically. So we make hoodies, we make uh, t-shirts. Yeah. For giants? Mm. Do you make hoodies for giants? Yes. <laughs> everyone's everyone's in, in Oakland, where I'm from, hoodies are kind of a big deal. So if I was able to go back with a Kenyan-made hoodie, I get a whole Nairobi-Oakland connection going. As screwed up as the whole situation is, people do love the availability of cheap clothes. And Toy Market is the place to go for what in New York City would be called vintage. A dense labyrinth of shops neatly organized by specialty. Honey, I brought all the Uggs back from Kenya. <laughs> There's got to be something in your size. The challenge today is going to be finding footwear for Kamau's decidedly non-Kenyan feet. 
not to mention mine. Uh, not nah, need it half size up. Oh, nice. Here we go. I had to come to the continent to find shoes that fit me. High five. High ten. Right. Yeah. And these are 30-34s. I'll take these for sure. Let's just be clear, some rich, annoying American person who yeah. bought these warm twice yeah. Yeah. and then was like, ew, they're out of season. Yeah. Debbie Harry shirt is kind of cool. Yeah. I will take this for sure. Well, here we go. Go on. Oh, nice. Oh, there, now we're talking. Black man in America wearing a King Kong shirt. Oh, yeah, wow. So, yeah, I don't know how it goes over here, but in America. That's a great narc shirt. Right. That's a great, like, hey, kids. Anyone want to buy some acid? Now, this is just weird enough and simple enough. That is pretty cool. I feel like I could tell. Where did you get that shirt? I got it in Kenya. <laughs> Is there a solution here, a, mi a mix? I mean, clearly it's good for some people. I mean, if I don't have a lot of money and I'd like a pretty fresh looking pair of Nikes, this is a good option. Yeah. I don't think this business is bad inherently. I mean, I feel like these two things seem like they could exist Together. Together, yeah. And the same way in the States, there's like, you can buy clothes that are made in the United States, and you can also go to a thrift shopping. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, I see those people who are running those stalls who are yeah. making a living, and I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to take their living away, but also, yes, those clothes should be taxed. Maybe they should be a little more expensive. Is there a realistic hope that the textile industry would come back? There is. To me, there is. Now we have more of the middle class buying Kenyan-made stuff, which is, right. like, people are woke. They want to buy stuff that's ethically produced. Yeah, exactly. Supporting, and supporting yeah. the community. Exactly. You know, China and South Korea, they didn't leave poverty or, like, stop being poor by importing second-hand clothes. So they, they did it by building all these factories, being able to export the, the, the stuff that they're producing. So it has to happen the same way with us. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm 
mind to it. Everybody needs a superhero. In Kibera, Nairobi's largest neighborhood, they make their own. Part of a project run by the Masai Mbili Art Collective, intended to empower kids who don't otherwise have much. There's a Swahili saying, it says, Sana Mikiocha Jami. Art is the reflection of the community. Well, what we did is uh, to make art, uh, we use it as a tool. So many stories have been told about Kibera. But they're negative stories. Negative. Uh, many organizations come here in Kibera, they shoot videos and films of talking about AIDS, drugs, you know, yeah. negative things about Kibera. So you have a lot of documentary crews that come through here and film crews that come through here? They usually come here. So usually. my question, I have a question. Are we assholes? <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was like, I, we can I talk like around an it. We can talk. I feel like a white guy right now. You know what I mean? Kibera is massive. Around 172,000 people live here. A sprawling warren of homes, places of worship, and small businesses competing for an edge. It houses a great part of Nairobi's labor force, meaning no Kibera, the city grinds to a halt. So here, as a person named Kamau, I'm not unique. Yeah, 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 very common. You're common. It's a common name here. I've, I've, I've waited all my life to be common. Welcome home. I'll go and tell our forefathers you are here. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Mamito Unis is a comedian. Simon Okuku, a musician. And Jeff Ochian, once voted Kenya's funniest person, are all using art to tell a new story about Kibera. It started from the challenge that we have been facing in this life. Like me, you know, me, I've been brought up by a single parent. I used even to engage in, cr in criminal activities. Mm -hmm. Coming across my fellow friends mm -hmm. and who have been passing to such kind of uh, messes, we decided to come up with an organization known as Kibira Creative Arts. So to try to teach these our fellow young people, uh, to make them avoid getting to these traps that are, are set for us. Kibera is also ground zero for what's called around here the White Savior Complex, a focal point for the more than 12,000 mostly well-meaning expat aid workers who live in Kenya. It's a dynamic that can be counterproductive as salary and employment discrepancies can cause a ripple effect of problems for native Kenyans. Nido, Yeah, man. Many Kenyans are working on a grassroots level to take control of their own future. Kibera Creative Arts being an example. Artists and performers from the neighborhood working to support and develop local talent. What is it like to be a comedian in Kenya? How does that, how does that look? It's so hard to make people laugh in Kenya. You imagine these are people who have not paid, paid their rent. Their rent. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are people who have gone without food for some days. So they come in angry. Yeah. Angry and hungry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should take me with this camera when I was small. <laughs> now that I've grown big, let me be taken by big things. <laughs> and that's the reason why we, when we go on stage and make people laugh, it is a plus that we say, wow, man. Yeah. <laughs> come on, yes. 
love to make more people happy because there's always ups and downs in life, but we will always laugh. You know, when people see Mamito performing and they see all the people seeing Mamito as a star, if Mamito is just performing as she's now a star, I don't need to go and drop somewhere to make me a star. I can use whatever I have because I think even in Kibera, we have some things that we can show to the world. By regional standards, Kenya, Nairobi anyway, is particularly tolerant. Kenya has become a sanctuary of sorts for a number of diverse ethnic, political, and social groups. One such group with a steadily growing nucleus is the LGBT community. Not too long ago, a nearly unthinkable development. So you shall never know this pain or awkwardness, uh, you know, when I'm doing shows in the States. I often find myself, so, What's it like being black in America? Uh, <laughs> now you will share my pain. What's it like being gay in Kenya? Oh, yeah. Kawera Murichia, Malcolm Muga, and Awara Nyango are members of To Revolutionary Art Love, a gay art collective. Kevin Washiro is a writer and journalist. So how, how free can you be? Like, is there, are there places in Kenya where you can walk around holding hands with your partner? You could try, you know, and... I've, I've Are there places you could go where it's not an experiment? <laughs> no, um, I, I think at all points it's an experiment. Well, yeah. so where's the threat from? Where is it most dangerous? I think the violence is, is like from homophobes. All of it is based around, like, desire of the penis, right? Mm. So if you see two women kiss, it's hot because you think you can get in there. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, they just want people. The one they're missing. Yeah, you yeah. know, like yeah. the they need me they to need help me. them out yeah. with the dick. Yeah. But if you, you're just seeing abundance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the violence, like against like lesbians, always comes in the part where like men realize, oh, they're not attracted to me. I've always had this um, theory that a lot of the issues and discrimination that we face mm -hmm. is based on our attitudes towards women. And so, you know, straight men will then come at a camp gay man because you're not a man, you're a woman, and we do not respect women. And therefore, mm -hmm. you, you know, why would you want to be like this? Yeah. Much of the news concerning gay rights on this continent continues to be pretty grim. It should be pointed out that even being gay is still illegal here. But in February of 2018, the Kenyan National Gay and Lesbian Rights Commission filed suit to strike down sections of the laws, arguing, well, the obvious, that they violate basic human rights. What happens next? Well, a lot of people are holding their breath. The fact that we were in court, mm -hmm. People wearing bracelets with rainbow colors. I said to Kiswali, my gays are in court. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and I think we queered court that day. We did. We queered court. So if, 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 the, if the laws overturn, mm -hmm. what are the larger implications? If we win this case, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm happy and scared at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Why scared? Backlash, obviously. It will yeah. happen. There will be people who. There'll be people who'll be attacked. Yeah. I mean, we're moving to an extreme end of freedom, yeah. and there'll be hate. I mean, I, I want it to happen so yes. bad. Yeah. Can we have pride on the streets of Nairobi? 
So when you say pride on the streets, you mean like like in I live in San Francisco for a long time. Like every year there's a gay pride parade, and you're and you're saying that's the. That if you have that, then you know that there's been a real change. If it happens for us, it'll be inclusion for every Everyone. other every other yeah. minority in this country. the first boxing lesson is stance and the importance of stance is stability also in life you need that stability and then you have to protect yourself protecting yourself it means protection from many things peer pressure all these things that can weigh them down and then there is a jab jab keeps the opponent at bay and also opens for an opening that you can hit hard Analo Njeri is a rather remarkable man, a former professional fighter who established Box Girls to train specifically female boxers. Is there a moment in the fight that you're pretty sure you're gonna win? I told them I already won it in the gym, so I'm just here to confirm. <laughs> gotta, gotta talk trash, gotta talk that Ali. The awesome Sarah Ndisi is a professional who trains under him and also teaches in the program. Our vision is create a world where girls can take advantage of every opportunity and create opportunities for other girls. And I very much like the idea of just, you know, all small girls, young women, women being able to kick at a man if they have to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What was your journey? How did you, why did you first start training? Did you want to become a professional from the beginning or did you make that decision after a while? Okay, uh, my main reason was um, to revenge actually. Revenge? Yeah, it was all about revenge because uh, one day while I was- But she didn't tell me that was the reason. <laughs> <laughs> you, would, you would talk to her first, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, going for a road walk in the morning. And uh, when I was coming back home, a man just slapped me and uh, ran away. That's when I started uh, having the idea if I had the boxing skills, the defense skills, I could have at least uh, saw where the punch was coming from and at least defend myself. Sarah fought Russian boxer Marina Popova in 2015, winning the UBO Intercontinental Lightweight Division title, Kenya's first international boxing title. She took time off to have children and is now back in training for a return to the ring. 
did you ever get your revenge? I never get my revenge because I came to realize uh, about if you are a train, uh, boxer should have uh, discipline <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> Swahili culture is a deep part of Kenyan cuisine, born of Indian, Arabic, and Persian influences, traders on the Indian Ocean side of the continent. This meal is a clear example of that mix. Mahamri is a bread made with cardamom. Mchicha is an East African spinach, a staple green across Swahili-speaking Africa from Tanzania to Mozambique. Beans with onions and coconut milk. Chicken biryani with masala, ginger, turmeric, and eggs. Fantastic. Beautiful. Man, honestly, this looks really good. How does it work at your gym? Do, do people pay to train? Like, you know, do they, is there a monthly fee, or how do they? Uh, I train them for free. Really? Just because you want to help? Yeah. There is, there, there is nothing to charge because there is nothing they can give. So we give what we have. Mm-hmm. And, and because they, they have the, the skills and we are there, what do we do? We just train them. Through the training, some get employment, some become professional fighters. They find their ways. Whatever bus you're taking, it ain't like this. Crosstown traffic just got a little bit wilder and more fun if you're riding the friendly skies of a Matatu. Matatus are privately owned and operated bus lines running regular routes. Fiercely competitive, to the point that owners started making modifications. And an ever-changing range of themes designed to attract the fickle commuter. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not subtle. All right, let's do it, man culminating in buses like this. Mad Max, a rolling, post-apocalyptic, seizure-inducing party bus. Just the thing you need after a hard day's work. So what do people want when they're about to? What what do they have to have? First of all, you need to have good music. We go The exterior art needs to be popping. Widescreen TVs. Yeah. TVs, Wi-Fi, air fresheners. and goat's head soup, a global classic. Slow cooked, well, goat's head. 
My companion, Mr. Bell, unaccustomed as he is to the ways of Africa, is new to this dish. Now, I don't want to sound all Colonel Mustard, but I eat this shit for breakfast by now. You know what I mean? I hear the words goat head soup, and I think, oh, yeah, it'll be meat from the goat's head in a soup. I'm not, I'm goat head. I didn't expect to see a full-on head of a goat. Brian Wanjama Obiando is a blogger, photographer, and chronicler of the Matatu phenomena. Lucia Alessandra Muroto is a legendary conductor. Catherine Camboon is the owner of Mad Max. Honored guest, honored guest. Is this, is this I am meeting right here? Song. I generously reserve the best and most tender bits for my friend, as one does. I fear, however, that he was less than enthusiastic, initially anyway. Wait till he tries the brain, he's gonna love it. That's my first eye. Yeah? All right. Yeah, yeah. I knew, I, I knew I'd end up doing something like that with you. Get over with that. <laughs> well, so you own the business? Yeah. You, and how long have you been in the business? Like five years. We want to get into the Maratu business in New York. Yes. <laughs> thinking about some improvements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need a hot tub. Yeah, we need a hot, hot tub. What's your theme? I, I already picked mine out. See, I'm all about counter-programming. I would do like the Reese Witherspoon Matatu, a tribute to all of the movies of Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> I'm, all about, I'm all about thinking outside the box. I'm thinking the Wolf Lit, the Situation Room. <laughs> the Situation Room. Matato. This could re reinvigorate public transportation as we know it. Especially in New York and LA where people don't like the bus. And what does it mean to be the conductor? They don't just let anybody be the conductor. In this job, you need to have a lot of patience. Just somebody who's had a bad day, they just don't want to pay. If you don't have patience, you just find yourself on top of the moon. Yeah, so when you carry people, you need to you need to show them that it's it's full of energy. They need to know how to get the people inside the matatu. So the whistle just gets everybody yeah. jumped up and excited. Yeah. Like I said, this is a competitive business. The matatu can cost up to sixty thousand bucks to buy and build out. Rides are only sixty cents. So to make the money back, you better get the customers in and out and coming back for 100,000 rides before you break even. So can you tell me what's it like growing up as an Italian Kenyan? Um, maybe I was trying not to say white. In America, white people get upset when you call them white. So I was trying to. Uh, the challenges I had as a kid was my hair. Everyone wanted to touch my hand. One thing I love about this job is that I meet all types of people and I don't look down on them and they don't look down on me. That's the best part of it. Just wait until New York City sees Kamau and my joint venture, the Wolf Blitzer. Everyone go and
I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. hours drive from Nairobi, it's another world. The Africa of dreams, of films, the natural world. But a world under constant threat. Lewa Wildlife Conservancy seeks to address the problem of keeping all this alive and safe without excluding or marginalizing the people who've lived here for centuries. That is a delicate balance, man and nature. How to responsibly care for one without negatively impacting the other in a world of ever-decreasing resources. Dave, guys, look at, look at this guy here. This is Dave the giraffe. He's a residential giraffe. Hi, Dave. Our guide is Karmu Shukiyama. He grew up in a village near here and has a deep knowledge of the wildlife of Lewa. Are, are those a termite? Termite mounds, yeah. yeah. So that's filled with termites. That's filled with termites. That's horrible. Little little uh, useless trivia in a firefight. You hide behind one of those, it will provide useful cover. <laughs> it's my first safari, and it's a very specific safari with an expert and with you with useless information. Yes. I paid extra for this. This is significantly better than the zoo, I guess it goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, I don't know if it's just me, but I had a negative connotation of safaris. I mean, I feel like they used to shoot animals in the safari. There's our kind of safari, and then there's the, you know, Trump Jr. safari. Yeah, I think that, I think I was afraid every time I said the word that people just, what are you doing? Like, no, this is good. This is a good kind of safari. Okay, good okay. For the world. Okay, good. So 100%. Good for the world. Good for the world. So good for all I the communities. another word or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, are there elephants out here right now? So we have elephants, yeah. Have you ever ridden on top of an elephant? No. I have done that. And you know what's another interesting uh, little uh, factor? <laughs> Here we go. When you're sitting on top of an elephant, yeah. it, the, the, the sensation, the tactile quality, it's like you're sitting on top of a giant scrotum. <laughs> wow, well, you're really selling it. Tony's useless safari facts. <laughs> An elephant? Yeah. Right there. Ouch! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Even if you see them in a zoo closer, they're behind bars and it just doesn't feel connected, but I feel like we're right here. Yeah, he's actually going someplace. Yeah, yeah, he's, actually, yeah he's, not, he's not just walking in a circle. He's actually got, a, he's got stuff to do.
The fact of the matter is, these magnificent animals would most likely be gone without the intervention of man. People pay a lot of money to come see these animals. Without that money, the overwhelming likelihood is that they would have been wiped out long ago, particularly this one. Whoa, what, what, what? That's a... That's a rhino. It's a rhino. fast rhino. Wow. The Conservancy was set up specifically to protect these guys. Initially a cattle ranch owned and operated by the Craig family, the Kenyan government, after finally acknowledging that the rhinoceros was on the verge of extinction, asked the family to set aside some of their property to bring all surviving rhinos here to recover and hopefully restore their numbers. From only 15 animals a few years back, there are over 150 of them today. Poaching is, of course, an ever-present danger to both the animals at Lewa and the people who look after them. Particularly the rhinoceros, whose horn is believed by wealthy Chinese buyers to be a strong medicine with virility-enhancing powers. The reality that the substance that makes up a rhino horn is the same as the human fingernail does not deter a market that will pay tens of thousands of dollars for a single horn. With 62,000 acres to cover, Lewa's anti-poaching program is necessarily aggressive, inclusive, and cutting-edge, relying on local trackers, advanced tracking technologies, and perhaps most importantly, good community outreach and intelligence gathering. If the local people are not on your side, you are at a serious disadvantage. So that's a white rhino. And, and it's a white rhino? That is a white rhino. Well, how do, how do it has nothing to do with the coloration. Okay. White was an African name, white, which means wide mouth. And whoever came to write about them put a knee there, then it became white. You said white rhino, and it was like, uh, Yeah, it's not white. I think, I think his dad might be black. <laughs> like you wanted it to look <laughs> or expected it to look? I mean, uh, no. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, I grew up as a kid, you know, probably my first images of Africa were Tarzan, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't think I knew what Kenya Africa was, you know? I mean, I think the expanse of it is not something I could yeah. be prepared for. Like, it takes over the entire horizon. <laughs> what a shithole, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what a shithole. <laughs> I mean, the other thing I'm aware of, too, is, is that, as you know, on this trip, is that still that thing about, like, not wanting to feel like I have come home, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet there is a sense that there is a, this diasporic connection, even though it, we did, I did not come from Kenya, you know? It's nice to have that connection. 
even if the frame that that connection was built through was colonialism, <laughs> you know, even though that's not, you know, it's, it's the good part of colonialism. It brings people together. <laughs> This should kind of be compulsory viewing for. Yeah. This, like, if you ever run for president, you should. This this should be compulsory. Viewing. At the very least, I, I do think that a lot of perspectives will be opened up, a lot of minds will be changed. You know, and this is on a very personal note. Like the idea that I'm sitting here with you doing this now, knowing where my life and career have come, it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's about as meta as it gets. Yeah. Like, no, it's just like every now and again I have this like, whose life is this? Yeah, look, I, I will tell you, uh, I got 17 years, yeah. and I would, I, actually, as soon as the cameras turn off, um, and, like, the crew will be, will be sitting around, we having a cocktail, I pinch myself. It's like, yeah. I cannot believe That's, that I get uh, to do this. I mean, um, like... Or see this, ever, that, or that I ever would, because uh, what, 44 years old Duncan Fries... I knew yeah. with absolute certainty that I would never, yeah. ever, ever see Rome, much less yeah. this. Some of our cultures, you know, from where we come from. Traditionally, you know, we've had some sort of conservation culture which sort of got eroded. It's been with us, it's been with our forefathers. We just lost it somewhere recently and we are trying to get it back. When you have traditional pastoral communities under intense and immediate pressure, trying to convince them that wildlife, which can, as in the case of one rhino or elephant, bring in life-changing amounts of money, it's a hard thing to convince them that it is in their long-term interest to let them live. Particularly when it was often wealthy white outsiders doing the asking. If you were very successful in managing this ex-cattle ranch as a conservancy, but wildlife across Kenya as a whole had no future, then to all intents and purposes, you just established a zoo, mm. a large zoo. And so what Lewa's ethos has always been is to show Kenyans that actually wildlife can have value and benefit. Mike Watson is the CEO of the Lewa Conservancy. Tom Lulampa leads the Northern Rangeland Trust. Faith Riunga is the head of education at Lewa. And Wangji Ku Kanothia is the head of communication. You're responsible for a larger picture involving a huge challenge, first the immediate needs of a lot of people, but also uh, potential conflicts with the traditional way of life. Have you been able to do what you've been able to do? I was born and brought up in a very strong pastoral background. We were really anti anything about conservation, really anti. Because one, we, we had a perception that this is a government thing, this is about grabbing our land. That probably also doesn't help that a lot of that land is owned by white people, right? Somebody else is owning our land. Initially. Okay. There was also a perception that conservation is being driven by the white. And so it's not about the communities. It's not about us. It's about them. But you know, gradually, um, we came to realize that the approach uh, that was being introduced was a community approach. 
Going back 13 years back, there was one girl who made it to high school. And she's speaking English, she's dressing up, and the other girls are like, you know what, I'd like to be her. And the more and more and more they've seen go through high school, graduate, slowly by slowly, they get to see the value themselves. Education works very well. Are, do you, are there efforts for people in the community who couldn't afford to come in here mm -hmm. to sort of see what's going on in here so they can have an, yeah. a further buy-in? We have a conservation education program here where over 3,500 school children can come on to Lewa free of charge, go around, get to see wildlife. Because, you know, unless you can afford to go to national parks yeah. Or, yeah. or to places like Lewa, then you definitely wouldn't have the opportunity to interact with wildlife. So we're headed towards the lions, is that what we're doing right now? <laughs> so now you can see at the peak, you can just see something sticking there. That's a lion sitting. Oh yeah, I see, right next to the little tree. Wow. Wow. Well, there's a bunch of them. If we're lucky, they might come down the hill. That's lucky. <laughs> we define luck in different ways. They seem to be having their eyes on something. Oh, come on, man. He's going to turn. He's going to go left. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, how are you doing, Lion? So the line is about like 30 feet from us or so. just in case. Outside the borders of Lewa Conservancy is a Maasai village known as the Ilanguesi Community Range. They're working with Lewa to not only embrace conservation, but also to maintain their way of life. You know, in Maasai traditional way, we've got our, our diets, which is meat, blood, and milk. At least once in a while, they do blood tapping. To the Maasai, the cow is a sacred animal giver of all things, 
Unlike the West, meat is not the primary interest. Here, cattle are sustainable, a long-term asset for milk, for cheese, and on special occasions, blood, straight from the tap. Okay, here we go. Oh. All right, well done. <laughs> Annoying as hell for the cow, no doubt, but decidedly not fatal. It might, however, prove fatal for my colleague Kamal, who, unlike me, has never experienced this local beverage. A warm jet of arterial blood into the gourd. Add some thick, clotting milk, also from cow, shake, and down the hatch. Would you like to have a zip? Yes, sure. Perfect. Just straight from here? Yeah. All right, here we go. I can pick the next. Are you going to try? Here you go. Oh, you're like, it's good. Smoke delicious. And keep in mind, the whole village is watching, and you are on TV. I'm home. Yeah. Makes you strong. Yeah. Are you... <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Working with the local Maasai community is both an absolute necessity and the right thing to do. To displace and forever disrupt the people who've lived here forever in favor of animals that wealthy white people want to take pictures of would be hideous and unconscionable. This is happening elsewhere on the continent, but the people at Lewa and Ilangwesi are working very hard to find a better path. He's, he's saying the meaning of the word Ilingwesi. It's the people who survived, you know, by hunting and gathering. And hunting wasn't what we understand of hunting today. It was hunting for survival, for food, not for business, not for selling trophies, trophies and stuff. Jonathan Kipp is a Maasai chief. Lila Kenyaha is a Maasai elder here at Ilingwesi. Was this a, an easy or a difficult transition? Or was it imposed from outside? The transition fastest when, when the poachers or the sport hunting was happening. We, we think it was a Western idea, yep. and Eastern or whatever. And we were not beneficiaries of it. Until when an idea came from Lewa and said, well, we can, we can join wildlife conservation for the future of this land, to conserve land. To, for the future of the future generations. I think they did what we say, you know, teach a person how to fish instead of providing a fish. So they taught us how to fish, introduce them to wildlife conservation. And from there, we are not being driven by Lewa anymore or, or any white person or any NGO. Yeah. Lewa is still a great, great neighbor. So we need each other, but we don't need to be, we are not really dependent of each other anymore. We, we value the game, we value the animals, and we know what, where we're heading to. And just like that, 
after months of drought throughout Kenya, rain. I was told is, since I'm Kamau from America, I brought the rain. Great. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. If there was a Maasai, a Maasai paper, today would be, the headline would be... Rain. Rain. Yeah. to tell the stories? This is a question asked often. The answer in this case, for better or for worse, is I do. At least this time out. I do my best. I look. I listen. But in the end, I know it's my story. Not Kamau's, not Kenya's, or Kenyans. Those stories are yet to be heard. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.